This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning. I didn't remember what day it was. It is the 24th day of June, 2021. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us this morning. Plenty to talk about. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, baseball, uh, the Red Sox stumbling again last night. Houston Astros staying hot. They won their 10th in a row. Uh, so we'll get to some baseball stuff in a minute. Got a few other things uh, to get to this morning. I want to thank those of you that have uh, checked in, uh, email, Facebook, uh, to wish me a happy birthday. Appreciate that. Uh, trying to figure out how the hell I got to 61. <laughs> you know, I remember being a kid thinking 30 was old, right? And now here I am, 61. I still don't know how that happened, but it, it sure as hell beats the alternative, as I said to one of my buddies this morning. So, uh, all right, before we get to baseball, let's uh, – uh, start with the Boston Celtics. They have a new head coach. Now, they haven't officially announced it yet, um, but uh, Brad Stevens has zeroed in on Ime Udoka, uh, assistant coach of the Brooklyn Nets. He was a longtime assistant, uh, for seven years, I believe it was, for Greg Popovich in San Antonio, and uh, he has been tapped to be the new Celtics head coach. Um, this is... Uh, a good hire, you know, and why? Well, because Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart are all familiar with him. Uh, they played for Team USA um, in uh, 2019 in the FIBA World Cup. Uh, Udoka was an assistant coach for that team. so uh, and, and they consulted Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown about the hire, and they were thrilled. So that's great news. I mean, you want to keep those guys happy, obviously. Uh, so the Celtics have themselves a new head coach. How about uh, Jay Williams? What an idiot. Uh, Works for ESPN, right? Yesterday, after the news was announced that uh, they had made the hire, he tweets out that, uh, you know, it was a great hire, that, uh, you know, he was a big fan uh, of Udoka, and, and then said it's – the first uh, head coach of color hired by the Boston Celtics. Now, even if you just crawled out from under a rock, you would know that the Boston Celtics have had several coaches of color dating all the way back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bill Russell, for God's sake, in the 60s. And, uh, oh, let's, uh, you know, Satch Sanders... Uh, ML Carr, uh, uh, Doc Rivers. I mean, come on. I mean, they've had, I think, six coaches of color through the years, and, you know, he tweets this out. He has since deleted the tweet after getting absolutely roasted, as you figured he might. But, you know, come on. 
you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when, when you tell your kids, you know, think before you say something, you just, you're typing this out. I mean, you got to make sure you got your facts right. If you're, you work for ESPN, really great look for the worldwide leader in sports, right? Oh, my God. But anyway, so uh, a great uh, hire, I think, for the Celtics. You know, it's a name that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Uh, Chauncey Billups was another guy that had been considered. Chauncey Billups is going to get a job. He has been uh, interviewed, gotten second interviews with a couple of uh, uh, teams already. Uh, so I think uh, a step in the right direction for the Boston Celtics, especially having the buy-in of your big players. I think that's that's important. Uh, NBA news from last night, the game one between the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Hawks with a surprising road victory. They beat the Bucks 116 to 113. Trey Young, 48 points. Uh, Clint Capella with a, a, a big bucket with about 30 seconds left. Um, Chris Middleton actually had a chance to tie the game in the closing seconds with a three, but he missed it. Uh, Giannis with 34 points and 12 boards, nine assists for the Bucks. Uh, wasn't enough. Uh, Milwaukee loses for the first time at home in the postseason. And Atlanta's 6-2 and two on the road. Uh, look, I still don't think Atlanta's got a chance to win this series. I think the Bucks are a better team. Uh, but the Hawks have certainly uh, made a statement by winning a game in Milwaukee. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Game two is Friday night. Uh, in Milwaukee again. Uh, great finish to a hockey game last night. The New York Islanders forced the game seven last night, uh, beating the Tampa Bay Lightning in overtime. The game was in New York, so that helped. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier with 108 into the overtime, and they beat the Lightning 3-2. to two. And why was this such a huge game? Not just because they kept themselves alive, but remember back on Monday night, in Tampa, they got beat eight to nothing in a hockey game. That's like getting beat, you know, uh, sixty to nothing in a football game. They got it, they lost eight nothing in Tampa on Monday, and then they come back to win the game in overtime. Bovillier with a big goal. Uh, they were actually down two one going into the third period. Uh, Curtis Mayfield with a uh, uh, a big goal. Uh, Scott Mayfield, Curtis Mayfield, good lord. Uh, Scott Mayfield with the goal. Uh, with about eight, eight and a half minutes to go and uh, beat Andre Vasilevsky. So a great uh, great finish to that one last night. The pl- Nassau Coliseum was insane. I thought the place was literally going to implode. Of course, it's the last season uh, in Uniondale, and if this was the final game in that facility, what a great finish it will be. Of course, the Islanders are hoping uh, to win in Tampa on Friday night in Game 7 and have a chance to uh, host some Stanley Cup final games. Uh, again, uh, this Islanders team, Barry Trotz has done a hell of a job there. I mean, after taking the uh, uh, Washington Capitals to the Stanley Cup and then going over to the Islanders, he has just continued that there. So uh, a great uh, opportunity for them Friday night in Tampa, Game 7, and uh, I wouldn't count them out. I certainly would not count them out. Uh, all right, uh, before we get to baseball, just a quick note. We've got uh, Sam Dostler of the Connecticut State Golf Association, Director of Communications, coming up at 9.30. He's going to talk about the Travelers Championship. The uh, PGA makes its annual stop in Connecticut. Um, first round is today. Actually started at 6.45 this morning. Uh, so we'll have Sam on to talk about that. and We'll talk a little bit about the U.S. Open last week as well. So uh, looking forward to that coming up at 9.30. 
All right, uh, Red Sox last night. Okay, uh, the starting pitching situation in Boston is becoming – well, it's not becoming. It is beyond becoming concerning. It is uh, – I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, let me, let's be honest. I, you know, it, your ace, Eduardo Rodriguez – has an ERA over six, right? He's supposed to be your best pitcher. It's a guy that you know won eighteen games a couple years ago. Now, again, coming off the COVID nineteen, uh, having myocarditis, I still believe that plays into it. But he's not right. All right, so let's we'll start there. Uh, Nathan Avaldi has been the only guy I guess you could look at and said has been somewhat consistent. Garrett Richards pitched last night against the Tampa Bay Rays, and night after the Red Sox won a big game against a division rival, he goes out and lays an egg. He got five outs. He lasted one and two-thirds innings. Uh, they lost 8-2. He gave up five runs in an inning and two-third, walked four guys, gave up two absolute missiles. This against a Tampa Bay team that had hit just 202 in their last in the last week. And he made them look, you know, unbelievable. He had no idea where the ball was going. If you look at the the pitch chart from last night, where his pitches were, it was embarrassing. His last three starts, he has more. He's walked more guys than he has struck out in his last three starts. He's seven walks, six strikeouts. During that span, he's only thrown eleven innings in three games. Eleven, and in those eleven innings, he's given up twenty-one hits and fifteen runs. And in his last six starts, he's got an ERA of six and a half. So, this is beyond concerning. You're at a point now where you know, and and he has admitted. You know, and after the game last night, he says, well, I'm in a transition period right now, changing some grips on some of my pitches, learning new pitches. Really? Why? Yeah, because I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. I'm still determined to figure out. And it's why, and it's all about the fact that Major League Baseball has stopped pitchers from using foreign substances on the baseball to get a better grip. And, you know, he has been the most vocal about it with the Red Sox, and he has been the one that has obviously been affected the most. You know, look, not to mention Nick Pavetta has been shaky his last couple of times out. Martin Perez has been a dumpster fire his last couple of times out. What are the Red Sox going to do? Look, Chris Sale's coming, but he's not coming until August. All right? What are they going to do? Uh, you know, you've got Tanner Houck, who's just coming off an injury down in AAA. He pitched yesterday, gave up a couple of runs in three and two-thirds. Uh, you know, but he's on the way to getting healthy. You know, maybe he's going to be, you know, another starter or two in Worcester, and then they get him up to the big club. You know, I'm not saying they're going to, uh, you know, uh, cut Richards or cut anything, but they've got to do something. They can't let this continue. They're killing the bullpen. They're, you know, yesterday they got to go into the bullpen in the second inning. Second inning. You know, and it's become routine. If you get five innings out of a pitcher, you think it's Christmas. More often than not, these guys are going three, four innings, and they got to get them out. You know, Connor Siebold's been injured as well down in the minors. They think he's close, but this is a guy you're going to bring him up in the middle of a you know a pennant race when uh, you know you're in first place, and, and how they're still in first place is beyond me. It's nothing short of a miracle with the way this team has pitched in the last three weeks. It, it's it's you know, so where are you going to go? I mean, they don't want to add payroll. Um, you know, so that's an issue because they want to stay under the luxury tax. There, I still say that they should go out and find Rick Porcello. 
Rick Porcello, who pitched for the Mets last year, was he great last year? No, he still pitched to an ERA of around five, but nobody was great last year. I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in what Rick Porcello did last year. You know, and I'll grant you that he has struggled a bit over the last couple of years, but this is a guy that is an experienced major league pitcher. You know, they need to find somebody that can come in and and fill some innings. And if nothing, that's one thing that Rick Porcello was always great at was taking the ball every fifth day. He's going to go out and he is going to get you some innings. He's only 32 years old, right? 32. Uh, You know, but this is a guy that, you know, with Boston in 2019 threw 174 innings. He threw 191 in 2018, right? He's only a a few years removed from winning a Cy Young. Remember back in 2016, he went 22 and four. He was 17 and seven in 2018. The guy knows how to win. He's sitting at home right now without a job. Get him a job. Call him. I'll bet you could get him for, you know, a million bucks. Maybe even the major league minimum just because he wants a chance to pitch again. Call him. Because this has gotten ridiculous. And, you know, Matt Corey this morning in his Sox Outsider uh, blog, and I hadn't thought of it this way, but, you know, I guess what we have to acknowledge is the Red Sox are still a rebuilding team. Now, it's kind of hard to say a team is rebuilding when they're sitting in first place, right? Uh, Even despite the debacle last night, there's still a half a game in first place. So, you know... To say they're rebuilding sounds ludicrous, but think about this. It was just last year when they traded Mookie Betts, right? Uh, you know, they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do with this roster. They don't, they, they've gotten rid of so many, they lost their entire outfield. Jackie Bradley Jr. is gone. Andrew Benatendi is gone. Uh, Mitch Moreland, who was a, a, a great stabilizing influence on that team, is gone. You know, so you got a bunch of young kids and a bunch of journeymen, and you're trying to figure it out, and your pitching staff is just a train wreck. So that it is a rebuilding team, as strange as that seems to sound, yet here they are in first place. You know, and but ladies and gentlemen, they are not going to sustain that if they continue to pitch the way they're pitching. And I'm tired, you know, of Garrett Richards or any other pitcher that wants to complain about the fact that they don't have the sticky stuff anymore. Just stop. Just stop. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you've been getting away with murder for years. Along those lines, uh, Pete Abraham had an interview yesterday, uh, with, uh, uh, Hiro Sawamura. Red Sox relief pitcher who came over from Japan and he's got a look, he's got a simple solution to this. He said, look, how about if major league baseball just changes or or they make a better baseball? Well, yeah. Okay. In Japan and in South Korea, they use Mizuno baseballs. We use Rawlings here and they have for years in the United States. And you know, now MLB owns a piece of Rawlings, so they're not going to use Mizuno baseball. So let's start with that. Okay. They should probably, but the Mizuno baseballs are manufactured with a tacky cover. They have some kind of grippy you know, stuff on the cover. So there's no reason to use anything else. 
Sal Morris said the ball that comes out of the box, ready to use. He said the Major, Major League Baseball ball is slick. He said it's been that way for a long time. He said even in Japan they knew that was a problem. Guys that were going to come over here, they knew they were going to have to adapt. But he said he showed some of his teammates um, some of the Japanese baseballs that he had, and everybody liked them. And he said, look, I'm not, he said, I can't say for sure this would be the best solution, but it's worth a try. And it absolutely is. Now, again, Major League Baseball is not going to do that because they own Rawlings. They have a financial stake in Rawlings figuring this out. Uh, and I'm sure the Mizuno, whatever Mizuno is using is some proprietary thing. They're not going to share it with Rawlings. But at the end of the day, you know, Sawamura is right. If you make a better baseball that has some kind of tackiness on it, but it doesn't, you don't have to resort to uh, illegal substances or something that is super sticky like that spider tack that everybody was talking about, you know, maybe this solves the problem. Maybe there's a happy median between, uh, you know, guys cheating their asses off and the Wild West where pitchers are, are throwing the ball all over the place and batters are kind of, you know, don't know if they're you know taking their lives in their hand going up to the plate. There's got to be a middle ground somewhere. Uh, and I still believe that doing this now was the right thing to do. A lot of people want to argue they should have done it in the offseason, and, and I, I respect that point. But I also believe that we were on a pace to have record-worst offense uh, and lose fans in droves. You know, we were we were at the point of, you know, turning baseball into a soccer game where you can watch it for two hours and see one goal scored or one run scored. I mean, that's what we're looking at. And it was boring. So I still think they did the right thing. But, God, the Red Sox got to figure out this pitching thing. And, you know, I don't know that they need to re, re, uh, release uh, Garrett Richards, but they need to do something. You know, and maybe Tanner Houck is the answer. You know, at least put, a, put your finger in the dike. They got to find something. And I'm going to see if I can find Rick Porcello's phone number today and uh, and forward that on to the Red Sox front office. Uh, Yankees win yesterday. They come back not once, not twice, but three times to beat the Kansas City Royals. Um, they finally do it uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning. Aroldis Chapman uh, blew another save yesterday. He's blown three of his last eight saves. Uh, Kansas City comes back to take the lead in the ninth inning. Um but then in the bottom, uh, Greg Holland comes in, pitching for the second straight day, a guy who's not the Greg Holland he used to be back in 2013 when he was one of the best relievers in Major League Baseball. Uh, just was awful. And uh, ends up giving up uh, a home run. And then uh, an RBI walk-off single to Luke Voigt. Game over, and the Yankees win. And uh, it was, by the way, it was uh, Luke Voigt's first game-ending walk-off hit in the major leagues. And it's the sixth walk-off win for the Yankees this year. The Yankees have now uh, gotten themselves right. They have won six of the last eight. They were nine back at one point in the AL East. They're now four and a half back of the Red Sox. So, uh, And in five of uh, uh, the victories, the Yankees have come back from the seventh inning or later. So their bats are starting to figure it out. John Carlos Stanton is starting to hit the ball, folks. Uh, and as much as I can't stand Gary Sanchez, he has a flair for the dramatic, and he did it again yesterday. Uh, perhaps the biggest home run, uh, the Yankees were trailing 3-2. Rugnet Odora was hitting the buck 99, comes in, hits a two-run blast uh, off of Jake Brent's uh, 
in the bottom half of the uh, uh, seventh inning to put the Yankees ahead. So, you know, it just was uh, it was an exciting game. If you're a Red Sox fan, it was a disappointing ending. Uh, the Blue Jays win again. They beat the Marlins 3-1. to one. That's two straight games now that the Blue Jays have won when scoring fewer than four runs. Going into this series against Miami, they were 4-21 and 21 when they had scored three runs or fewer. Tuesday night they won 2-1. to one. Last night they went 3-1. to one. Robbie Ray with another uh, good performance, a, a good bounce-pack performance because he had been pitching very well, but his last time out was his shortest outing uh, of the season. But uh, he struck out six over six innings, gave up just one run and four hits. Uh, Romano picked up his fifth save of the season, and uh, the Blue Jays, with the victory, again, trying to hang in there. They are now six back of the Red Sox and a game and a half behind the Yankees, who are in uh, third place right now. Uh, so a good win for them as well. And how about the San Diego Padres? The Padres beat the Dodgers again last night, 5-3. to three. They sweep the season series against the Dodgers. It was the first time they had swept them since 2013. Padres win 5-3. Joe Musgrove goes six solid innings, just uh, one earned run and two hits over those six. Bullpen does a very good job. Mark Melanson picks up his 23rd save. Trevor Bauer got the start for L.A., and, you know, he was his usual brash self. He has a big inning, and he does his strut off the mound. But at the end of the day, he pitched six innings, gave up uh, three hits. I mean, three runs, five hits, walked four guys. He struck out ten, but he walked four. Uh, doesn't get charged with the loss. Blake Trinan uh, coughed up a couple of runs in the seventh inning. He gets charged with the loss. Uh, but the San Diego Padres now with the sweep sit at 45 and 32, 13 games over 500. They're still, everybody's still trying to chase down the San Francisco Giants. Uh, but the Padres now are just a half a game behind the Dodgers who are four back of San Francisco. The Giants won again yesterday. Uh, they beat the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim nine to three in thirteen innings. Thirteen innings in a game, you know, in a in a season where you have that automatic runner on second base in extra innings. They scored seven runs in the thirteenth inning. You know, and this is a game everybody was excited about because Shohei Otani was starting uh, uh, for the Angels. He went the first six, pitched well, only gave up a run on six hits. But Kevin Gausman was just as good for San Francisco, a run on four hits in seven innings. Uh, and then they turned it over to the bullpen, and uh, they finally uh, got to Alex Claudio and uh, and Guerra in the thirteenth uh, inning. And the Giants now are an unbelievable twenty-two games over five hundred and four ahead in the NL West. I'm telling you, Gabe Kapler, hands down, manager of the year in Major League Baseball. It's 29 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Sam Dossler of the Connecticut's uh, Golf Association join us. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. And uh, we are pleased to be joined by Sam Dostler, the Director of Communications for the Connecticut State Golf Association. And I know you're, you're off uh, on another trip. Where are we going this morning, Sam? We are uh, en route and finally almost there to uh, Torrington Country Club, which is actually in Goshen, Connecticut. Uh, but the Connecticut State Golf Association has their senior match play this week. Uh, we're into the the full tournament grind uh, the last couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, it's it's a beautiful day up here. So 
uh, we're, we're looking forward to some more good golf. We were up here. We've been up here since Tuesday and Tuesday was miserable, rainy. Windy. Oh yeah. Uh, but the last couple of days have been nothing but spectacular. Well, I'm sure that, uh, folks are, you know, the, a lot of the local golfers are excited about that, but of course the fans in general, golf fans in general here in the state of Connecticut, uh, always look forward to the return of the PGA tour to Cromwell, Connecticut, TPC river highlands. And, uh, what a great thing it was yesterday. They had their pro-am, uh, how nice was it to be able to see fans? I mean, it, you forget how great that was after you know playing in front of crickets last year. Just to have some some people on the grounds, uh, a great thing for the state of Connecticut. Yeah, it, it certainly is. It's uh, it's certainly something that's that's long been awaited. Uh, it's it's an event that not only the pro am but the travelers as a whole is just a, it's really a rallying cry. Uh, in many senses for the state of Connecticut. We don't have any professional teams. Of course, we have the UConn basketball teams who serve as our professional teams for all intensive purposes. Uh, but this is, this is our, our chance to, to shine in the big time. This is our chance to, to see the top players in the world in their respective sport and uh, to be able to get out there and, and support those athletes and, and, and watch some golf and also see some of the, the celebrities be on the course yesterday and, of course, play beginning early this morning. It's just fantastic to see. I saw a, a video of Ricky Fowler signing autographs uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's been happening, of course, at other PGA Tour events, but to have it happen in our state uh, is, is, is fantastic. I know Connecticut was a big part of the PGA Tour coming back last year, third event on the schedule. Uh, I talked with Nathan Groob. I think in April about last year's event and Nathan group, the tournament director of the travelers. And I think he said there's 37 people around the green and, and every last year when Dustin Johnson tapped in to, to win the travelers, but everyone knows what a scene that 18th green can be every day of the week. But in, in particular, when the final group is coming up on Sunday, there's been some amazing finishes. Uh, the Jordan Spieth hole out from the bunker in the playoff against Daniel Berger comes to mind. So I know I'm rambling a little bit with that answer, but it's, it's just uh, it's fantastic to, to see and to have that excitement uh, returning. Only 10,000 fans per day, but um, it's, it's a step in the right direction and uh, something that I, I think everyone is, is really, really excited about. You know, I was going to, and I was just, we said 10,000 fans, and I was thinking about it. It sounds like a lot of people, and it is, but when you take 10,000 people and you spread them out over the entire golf course, it's, it's actually going to seem almost like an intimate crowd. You know, I mean, for someone who's gone to the tournament as long as I have, you know, you're used to, you know, a lot of times, you know, elbow to elbow on a lot of uh, holes. You're not going to see that except maybe for some of the bigger name groups, but it's going to be right. spread out quite a bit. Right. Yeah. The, the marquee groups, you know, the the Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka, of course, Phil Mickelson, uh, guys like that. It's it's going to look it's not going to be quite as big for sure, because there's only going to be 10,000 people versus uh 40,000 on a given day, but it, it's going to look like a normal tour event as far as that goes. And certainly on, on Saturday and Sunday, as there's less golfers on the course and uh, the final group plays holes and the, and the crowd sort of collapses on itself to, to try to watch uh, leading up to the final hole when everyone sort of gathers around there. But other than that, on a, on a day, especially like today or early Saturday, early Sunday, uh, before the final groups tee off it, people are going to be spread around the course. It's, it's going to be, uh, which I think is nice because it gives people the opportunity, right. To, to go and experience it in many different ways. Like 
for instance, I'm going Sunday morning. I'm vaccinated, but I'm not quite ready to to sit with the big crowd around 18. Even though I'm vaccinated, I, I've done my part as far as that goes. I'm just not ready to sit shoulder to shoulder with thousands of people. Uh, but I'll go early Sunday morning, watch for a few hours, get my fix in, but also be able to be spread out, go to places where there's not going to be as many people. You're outside. Yep. Uh, you're not sitting shoulder to shoulder with with big crowds and so it it really it gives people the opportunity to do do both if they want to crowd into the 18th hole on the for the final putt on sunday they can if they want to come early and and watch golf while uh, things are more spread out as far as the crowd goes they can as well so i I think it's i think it offers a, a good variety and then hopefully the plan next year is 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 uh full go ahead and everyone is just ready, amped up, and we can get our 250, 300,000 people there for the four days. Well, you know, for people that enjoyed watching the golfers struggle last week at the U.S. Open, uh, the Travelers Championship is not that. Uh, you know, there you will see scores much lower. This this golf course, I mean, look, it's not it's not an easy golf course. If you and I played it, it would be ugly. But uh, you know, for these guys, comparatively speaking, uh, there's going to be some low scores out there this week, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, you usually see something in the teens as far as what wins this event. It's it's a course where where birdies are out there. It's it is challenging in, in the sense where there's only two par fives, so it's uh, it's a par seventy course. So there aren't uh, a ton of eagle opportunities out there, but it, it's a course where where guys can really get after it. There's a lot of there's room to miss the the true defense. At, at TPC River Highlands is the greens. Yep. Uh, there's there's a lot of runoff around the greens. It doesn't have, uh, like you saw last week at Torrey Pines or a lot of other courses on tour, it doesn't have rough around every green that's just going to grab the ball and, and, and stop it if, if you miss that green. There, there's runoffs, and it's going to end up in deep swales, and you're going to have to make a decision as far as do you want to bump and run it up to, to try to get it close do you, do you need to go high do you need to hit a putter you know what what's what's your play going to be and, and it brings in some challenges as far as uh getting up and down so if guys miss the green that's where the where the challenge comes in but other than that there, there's not a, a ton of uh, a ton of challenges out there i mean you, you always see, you typically see over par uh excuse me under par making making the cut each year uh, but I think that's what makes this tournament so exciting each year. It is it is a course where uh, moves can be made. And, and we've seen it time after time on Sundays where, where a guy will, will come from behind and, and win the tournament. Phil Mickelson did it the second time he won all those years ago. Kevin Streelman reeled off the – I think it was the seven straight birdies. Yeah. Uh, so, something like that a, a number of years ago. Uh, um when when he won at TPC, so it's it's just a course that's that is a lot of fun, and I think the guys really like it coming off what is a, a tough test at at the U.S. Open. Well, and Streelman's actually atop the leaderboard uh, this morning through the first nine holes. He's three He's under, been so well. yeah, he has. Um, you mentioned Ricky Fowler, and you know Ricky Fowler hasn't been to Cromwell in a long time. Um, he, he actually, I think his first time there, he was only uh, an amateur. He was 20 years old, but he hasn't been there in a long time because he usually doesn't play the week after the U S open. Well, he didn't qualify for the U S open this, uh, this year. So, uh, for Ricky, you know, this is a guy that, you know, I don't want to say he's underachieved. I mean, a lot was, he, he gets a lot of hype and, but he's ranked what 91st in the world, something like that. Um, you know, 
should Ricky Fowler be higher up? I mean, should he be playing better? Has he been a disappointment in, in your mind the way he's played? I mean, look, he's won five times on tour, so I don't know how big of a disappointment you can be with five career wins, but it seems like he gets a lot of hype no matter you know what tournament it is. Yeah, I mean, he came out of college as probably overhyped, but is I don't know if it's it is it's not totally his fault. He's he's got it, you know. He's he's got the looks. He right. has the style. He he was sort of that out of the cookie cutter box golfer. He was into the BMX biking. He had a different style, a different flair, and and he came out and he played well. I mean, he he made that Ryder Cup team in two thousand and twelve. Um, as a captain's pick because he, he played so well when he, he got on tour and he just hadn't been around long enough to accumulate the points that were necessary. And he came up with a big to have in, in the Sunday singles in, in a Ryder cup that the U S open, or excuse me, that the U S team almost rallied to, to win. Right. Um, it was the, the Ryder cup where Graham McDowell beat Hunter Mahan and they swarmed him on the 17th green of the, what was the Monday singles match. Anyways, I, I move off topic there. Um, but you know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, golfers go through these phases, right, where they're at the top of their game, and then because he he's finished second, I believe, in all four majors. He's he's been in the mix. He's won a Players Championship. Yep. Uh, he he's won some big events, but sometimes sometimes guys just lose it. I mean, look at a guy like Steve Stricker. He was a, he was an excellent player, and then he just couldn't find it for a number of years, and then he had a resurgence, and he was the comeback player of the year back to back years. Uh, at, at one point. So um, you would expect a guy like Ricky Fowler to refine his game. As far as being a disappointment, you know, I guess you could say yes, simply because of the media attention that he received. Right. Uh, and But I think that has to do more with more of the looks and he's just the, the looks and he has the personality and he has that uh, a vibrant uh, attraction to him that, marketers marketers are, are looking for uh so a lot of that pressure has been maybe unfairly put on him mm-hmm. as far as the ex- expectations go and the people dressing like ricky fowler and all the orange and the puma um but i mean he's like you said he's won five times on tour including a, a players championship i don't you know, some people try to make an argument that that's a major. It's not a major, but it's a big win. It's a big win. There's no doubt about right. it. Right. Uh, so, and I'm thinking I should have his problems. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, he's made a boatload of money. He's been a number on a number of uh, uh, U.S. team. You know, U.S. national teams as far as um, playing in Ryder Cups, Presidents Cups. He played in the Olympics for the U.S. Uh, when they were in Brazil, in Rio, uh, de Janeiro in Brazil. So he's, he's had a nice career and, and, and he's only and 32. I, I, I mean, he's right, still got, he's, he's still got lots of time, right? He's young and, and there's a, a good probability that he's going to rebound and, uh, refine his form. Well, let's talk a little bit, uh, before I let you go about last week and the U S open and, you know, with about nine holes to go, there were probably, I don't know, 12 to 15 golfers that were in a shot or two of the lead. And it looked like it was going to be an absolutely wild finish. And then we watched one implosion after another. In some cases, it was some bad luck. You know, a a ball gets stuck up in a tree. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Uh, You know, but, but it was like, you know, just one errant shot. You know, it looked like uh, that Rory McIlroy had a, had a chance. And then, you know, he has a bad hole. Uh, the, the implosion that Bryson DeChambeau had was epic. 
Uh, he didn't implode. If you, if you if if you if you listen to Bryson DeChambeau, he'll tell you he was oh. un, in control of his game. The right. Whole time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the eight on seventeen that he had was yeah, was the, clearly the shank, in control. The shank's chip. Yeah. He was he was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but you have to, you know, and I felt bad for, for Oosthuizen. He hits that ball and it go ends up going into the penalty area. So as soon as that happened, you know, kind of the, uh, the drama was over. You knew Rom had it won. You have to give John Rom a lot of credit. I remember when he was in that bunker. Remember when he hit that, that uh, shot out of the bunker over, like, oh, didn't go at the hole and went away. And that ends up draining that putt. And you're like, that was just... That was one of those memorable moments, something that people will be talking about for a long time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, sure, guys imploded to some extent, but, um, you know, Rom went out and got it. He shot a 67, uh, birdied the final hole. He did what he needed to do. He went out and, and played a fantastic round of golf. I'll, I'll tell you, the Louis Oosthuizen thing is, is really becoming quite the thing. He, he uh, It's not the same level of tournament, but at the Zurich this year in the team event, in a playoff, he – pushed his drive into the water and right uh, you know that that essentially sealed the deal there so he's hit some wayward drives in, in difficult situations there's there was room for him to miss to the right because it's it's interesting because you do have a birdie hole coming up you right. know you have the 18th you have a hole that's birdieable uh, and, and you don't even have to try to go for it in two if you don't want to so you, you would have liked to have seen him play a little bit further out to the right just get your par Maybe give yourself a 25-footer for birdie just to, you know, give yourself a chance at it and then say, okay, I didn't get it there, but, you know, we'll go up to 18 and uh, we'll give ourselves a, a, a you know, 15-footer or less to, to try to get this thing into a playoff. But I I think you have to give the credit to DeChambeau, uh, to, to Rom. I give him no credit. Went, <laughs> no credit to DeChambeau, no. no. But to Rom, he went out, he got it, he won it, and um, – you know, uh, we, when we were talking last week, uh, right at the beginning of the U.S. Open, I was a bit harsh on him as far as the vaccine stuff goes and, and getting COVID. But I'll tell you, he, he, the way he talked, he really handled it well and uh, uh, drew a little newfound respect for me as far yeah. as um, how he handled that situation. I like that he came out and said, you know what, I know there are a lot of people that said the PGA Tour should have sent me out by myself and blah, 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 blah. And he said, no. I basically said, no, I messed up. I own, you know, I yep. owned it. I should have got the vaccine sooner. Um, it's easier to say after you go out two weeks later and win the U S open. But, right. Um, but you know, I, I really appreciated how he talked about and handled the situation. And, if, and, you know, he just played fantastic golf and it's a course that like we talked about last week, he, he won there previously. So, uh, he, he, of course it's a different, um, it's, it plays differently in the U.S. Open than it right. does during the regular tour event, but uh, he went out and he took it. Well, uh, you know, again, it was, uh, it was, uh, and I think I agree with you. I, I had, I had felt the same way about Rom with the whole vaccine thing, but uh, I thought it was classy. You know what? It was was interesting, and I know this is kind of weird, but when they showed him when he was out warming up on the range, just in case there was going to be some kind of a playoff. And his wife is out there. And Phil Mickelson, who was like a million shots out, was still sitting there. And he's like just sitting there watching Rom and talking to his wife like, you know, just another day at the park. But uh, Phil Mickelson, you know, what a weird tournament he had. I mean, it looked like he was going to like had no shot. He somehow makes the cut. And then, you know, I, I, maybe that was good enough for him. I don't know. But uh, that was that was brutal. But it was just kind of strange to see him that he his round was long over. And well, he was just sitting there hanging out. 
It, it may, it does. If, if you look at the, the history, they, they're both Callaway guys for one. Okay. Um, but Phil Mickelson's caddy, his brother, Tim, uh, was John Rahm's college coach at Arizona oh, State. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Where, where, where Phil, of course, also went to college. Right. And, um, when Rahm went pro, Tim Mickelson left Arizona State and was his manager, his agent, or, or something along those lines for a little while, and, and then hopped on the bag for Phil after um, Bones was – after the, the breakaway from – from Bones, Phil's longtime caddy. So those two, they, they do go way back. Okay. Well, now, now, see, that's why I have you on. It makes much more sense now. <laughs> All right. Last thing, uh, this feud between DeChambeau and Kepka. <laughs> are you as tired of this as I am? And I, I have to tell you, you know what kind of ticked me off this week? And I'm, I love Jeff Jacobs. I'm a big fan of Jeff Jacobs. I have been since he was a writer for the Current for years. But this week he writes a column saying that he thinks that they need to pair those two guys together and just give everybody great drama. That's the last thing I want because I don't want to feed this monster anymore. Yeah, uh, it's it's a very millennial um, rivalry, isn't it? Yeah, right? it's you weird. Know, this on Twitter, that on Twitter versus, you know, because they really haven't gone head-to-head on the course. No. I mean, you look at the great rivalries through golf history, Tiger Phil, you know, um, Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson, uh, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palm, you know, just the, the rivalries over the course of time in golf. And it's been on the course. And, and, and in a lot of cases, guys have had respect for each other off the course. Right. Uh, so so it, it is weird. This it's, isn't it's that. Little, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's simply like just one guy not liking another guy and that's it. But I don't know. It's, it's just, it's weird. And the other thing about pairing them together with, it's not like it's a basketball game, where, right? You know, you're gonna you're gonna give that guy that little, you know, <laughs> under the radar elbow in the gut or something. Right. You're, you're playing golf, you pretty much talk to your caddy and maybe some small talk with the guys in your group. At, at the most, it's not like there's going to be some throw. They're not going to drop their gloves in the middle of the sixth <laughs> fairway. Not, but they maybe they would. Maybe. Who knows? Would, yeah, maybe. That would, that, that would be something. By the way, if that happens, my money's if that happens, my money's on Deshambo. <laughs> I don't know. He's kind of that beefy looking guy. Kefka seems a little more nimble. Uh, okay. You know? All right. Well, we'll have to get the tail of the tape and see how that works out. Yeah. But but yeah, it's you know, I, I guess if it happens organically, you know, like you know, if if they're For in sure. a tournament and you know, and and they end up, you know. If if on Sunday in Cromwell, you know they're one two and they're matched up, okay, fine. But I just don't. It's it seems like the media loves this too much and they're actually kind of feeding on it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think part of it is there's just there's not really a rivalry in golf at the moment, right? Uh, as far as you know, and there's no Tiger, I, so everybody's bored. There's, right. There's no Tiger. There's none of the, you know, none of the young guys have. You know, Justin Thomas was there for a while. Then, you know, he's right. still a good player, but he, he's not at the top of the leaderboard each and every right. week. And uh, you know, Spieth is is one this year, but he hasn't been around. You know, Justin. You know, the guys kind of rise and fall. Right, right. You know, Larry and Tiger were going at it for a little while, but there's, I don't know. There's just there's no rivalry. Phil's still playing, but like you said, there's no Tiger. So, so where do we go with this other than? This is what's happening on the course. <laughs> so we're gonna, yeah. So we're gonna find something else to talk about. Well, well, right. look, uh, have a great time on Sunday at the Travelers, and uh, it's it's great to have golf back here. I mean, I know you've you're seeing plenty of golf, but it's great to have <laughs> the PGA Tour uh, back in Connecticut once again. 
Yeah, it certainly is. It's uh, it's really a tournament that I give a lot of credit to as far as my love for golf and appreciation for the game. So um, as someone who went every year from 99 to 2019 to, to have a back and have the opportunity to go again, it's, it's, it's just a great thrill. All right. Well, enjoy that, and uh, we will talk to you uh, down the road. Thanks very much for a few minutes this morning, Sam. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Jim. All right. Sam Doster here on Sports Country Radio. It is 52 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a quick break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 54 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Uh, just taking a look at the leaderboard at the uh, Travelers Championship, and Kevin Streelman still sitting atop uh, the early groups going out this morning at 6.45. He's at three under along with Tom Lewis and uh, Patrick Cantley. Patrick Reed, another one of the marquee names, uh, is uh, at two under par through his first six hole. The aforementioned uh, Bryson DeChambeau uh, is currently at even par through seven holes this morning. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how his new uh, uh, bombs away uh uh, strategy in golf these days plays uh, at the TPC uh, of River Highlands. But uh, that's where we're at right now, and I appreciate Sam Doster coming on this morning. Uh, one other quick note before we get out of here, New York Mets uh, with a win last night, and uh, they are in a position where they're kind of trying to put things together pitching-wise the way the Red Sox do now. Overall, you would have to say that this Mets team has a lot deeper pitching than the Red Sox, and it's not even close. But with uh, you know the number of injuries that they've had, Marcus Stroman getting hurt the other night, they had to dip down into the minor leagues, um, and they bring up uh, Tyler McGill, and they also brought up Corey Oswalt. Well, those two guys combined to go six and two-thirds yesterday, uh, allowing three runs on seven hits, and the Mets bats got it done, and the Mets ended up beating the Braves last night 7-3. to three. Uh, Francisco Lindor, a couple of hits, including a home run. He drove in three. Michael Conforto, back from the injured list, had a couple of hits last night. Uh, McNeil, three for three, returning from the injured list. So they're, they're starting to get healthy. If they can get the pitching healthy, uh, this Mets team is, could has an opportunity to run away and hide. Uh, they are four games up on Washington right now. Washington, by the way, a, how about this? After that uh, dust-up yesterday or the day before yesterday with the, the whole pitching thing, final score yesterday in this one, the Nationals beat the Phillies yesterday 13-12. to 12. It was like a slow-pitch softball game. Unbelievable. Uh, so anyway, that is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Going to leave you this morning with uh, uh, an old tune. One, uh, it was kind of the theme song. <laughs> it kind of tells you where I, how old I am. This was kind of the theme song of when I went uh, to college. This was a very popular song on the Franklin Pierce College campus in Ringe, New Hampshire. It's Jonathan Edwards and Shanty. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.